Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Have you ever thought about taking an assessment that didn't measure personality? I like to call it the unpersonality assessment. Have you thought about the difference between being a leader versus a manager? How would you welcome the opportunity to learn about your habits of thinking? Click the link below and have an opportunity to discover your habits of thinking and win a potential discovery session with Deb. Welcome back to Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. You're not seeing things. We are here again on video and have I found an amazing, beautiful heart-centered leader for you today. Let me introduce you to Dr. Lori Baker Sheena. I'm going to give you a little bit about her bio and then I can tell you this is going to be a rich and enlightening conversation. So Dr. Lori is the CEO and founder of Baker Sheena Communications. She's a leadership coach. She's a professional speaker, which is why we're on video, because this is going to be super easy for her. And it's a Friday afternoon, and look at her background. I told her I want to jump in there and sit with her. Lori loves to work with individuals, academic institutions, entrepreneurs, small business, and large corporations. She goes in with a mindset to strengthen their management and team building skills. She also loves to help her clients achieve a level of high excellence within productivity and profitability, and she helps them reclaim their passion and expertise in their industries. That just sounds so inviting to me. So Dr. Lori, welcome to Imperfect. Thank you so much, Deb. It's so wonderful to be here, and you have a very lucky audience who gets to hear you and have such a dynamic host. So it's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Well, I know you're a busy lady and I'm excited that the internet has connected us and I love the work that you're doing. So let's just jump right in with some leadership questions and have a great conversation. So excited, yes. Now, I had asked you to give me three words that really represent your leadership, and you had alluded authenticity, modeling the way, and being the chief motivator. I love those three qualities. Tell us how you've integrated those into your practice, but also give us a little backfill, a backstory of how those three qualities became the top three for you. Well, it's interesting, Deb, and that's an excellent question. My career path has been of one of twists and turns, but it's also a model for everyone listening here because we cannot think that we're only going to have one career in our lives. If we're lucky, we're going to have several careers. I know you personify this yourself, but I started out in, in marketing and public relations for 33 years, uh, my own business. I was a professor for 25 years mm -hmm. uh, teaching marketing, marketing and journalism. And finally, one day I decided I really want to be a motivational speaker, professional speaker. 
and a leadership coach because mm. I had received my doctorate in organizational leadership. And I realized that I love helping leaders become authentic leaders. And that's where the authenticity comes from. Mm -hmm. Because quite frankly, how do you learn how to be a leader? That's one of the big questions we all have, especially as you get into managers and supervisors and companies. We are um, promoted based on our skill set. So if you have someone who does a really good job, let's promote that person. But they never receive the leadership skills they need, how to work with a team, how to manage conflict, how to communicate. And so I realized that there's such a gap in that, how to be a leader. And then what kind of leader? Servant leader, authentic leader. And so that's where my passion comes from. It's helping others learn what kind of a leader they are and then helping others be the leaders they can be. Well, and it's such a sweet spot to be in. And I know before I hit record, we both said, there's not enough of you. There's not enough of me. And I spend a lot of time in the space that you talked about with that. I'm going to, I'm going to classify it as the accidental leader. So they land up in that role and they're like, where's the manual? You know, I'm being facetious, but when you decided, I'm just going to add in a little bit of a question here. When you decided to do your PhD, share with us what was your dissertation? Was it hard to decide where your wheelhouse was going to be? And, and how did you prepare to defend for it? Because I always love when leaders share that they get butterflies in their tummy, that they have anxiety. So give us a little backstory for that. That's such a great question. I really was at a loss of what I was going to do. I loved the program. It was a three-year program out of University of Laverne. The first year, you worked on yourself, individual. So we learned how to become leaders. It was mm -hmm. very intense. The second year, we learned about teams and how to run teams effectively. The third year was the organization where you learn mm -hmm. about organizations. I was a professor, and I had noticed that when I put my students into teams for their capstone senior projects, they would totally disintegrate. They did not know how to work in a team. They would be flustered. They'd be yelling at each other. And these wonderful students would be in tears. Some team members were doing too much work. Others weren't doing enough. And I realized that nobody likes working in a team. So I wanted to find out if we taught students teamwork skills mm -hmm. and really help them embrace it, would they A, enjoy the experience better and B, create a better product for their clients? So I did, I had a two, I had two identical classes and I had a one I taught teamwork and one I didn't. And I, that's what my dissertation was. And mm. it was such an eye opener because I had students I didn't teach anything to, I just let them go. And of course it was just a, a disaster. And the students who I taught how to set norms, how to work with others, how to, you know, how to deal with conflict management every week we had a module on leadership on top mm. of the content and they did so well and their clients were so happy and so it just woke me up that we need to teach teamwork you know in the high schools and colleges and also i go into companies and teach teams how to be functional and how leaders can lead these teams and that has become such a passion project and thank you for that question because I haven't thought about my dissertation thank goodness in 10 years but it was it was and I was one of I was 52 when I received my uh, doctorate I did it late in life and I absolutely loved every moment of it and that 
kind of sparked me to continue. But that teamwork is so crucial and so undervalued. Well, it is, and it's and it's not taught. It's like you said, these people, middle to senior level, get promoted into these leadership positions, and the title and the roles and responsibilities are packed up so beautifully from H&R or an L&D department, and then it's just kind of like, here you go. And I don't know what it's like in the States, but I can tell you in Canada, in some of the organizations that I've worked with, I have these executives hire me and they're like, yes, I have the academic requirement. I don't have the experience and I don't know what I don't know. So such a great con, the social context, and it also sets them up for perfectionist. Oh, if they're already a perfectionist. It goes to a level that I always say, you know, we're never going to see this. This is certainly an untangible reality and it's a mixed bag. And I'm so glad that you did that. So I can only imagine the richness of conversation that that will entertain you. So I'm going to, I'm going to segue into my next question. All my guests get. So along this leadership journey for Dr. Lori and before what imperfections have you brought to your heart-centered leadership? I have to tell you that I am a solution-oriented person and I like to solve people's problems. It's just the thing I have. I've done it forever. It's part of one of the things that I offer my clients called the solution shift. And I am not good, and to this day is my imperfection, I'm not good at letting people figure out their own, their own solutions. I love giving them the solution, <laughs> I believe, that would help. And of course, and people are happy about that. That's why it feeds that thing. Mm -hmm. But I know there are many coaches who I super admire who allow people to figure out their own solutions given the tools and that's the way they coach. And I get in there and <laughs> get to work and we, so I really believe, and I thank you for asking because we need to self-examine ourselves. And I think I need to have a little more patience helping people figure out for themselves what the solutions are well it's a it's a mood point because i've i have executives where i've done a little bit of your approach and then i've had other ones that leading the horse to water and leaving them on the edge of that unknown and they get very upset but then when the light bulb goes off and they're like okay i got this it's like you make that call. I think it's personal depending on the coaching client. There's some that you can pull to a certain level. There's other ones that need a little bit of augment augmentation like you're doing. But it's a sweet spot to be in to know what you can do based on the trust and rapport that you have with that client. So always a fun space to be in, right? And Absolutely. I think we all can ex, you know, get a little bit better with our virtue of patience. I think we all can say that as leaders. That is my big imperfection. I have to uh, segue real quick, Deb. You know, your whole idea of the heart, heart-centered. I read a book in my, in my doctorate program about heart-centered leadership, and it really resonated with me. What really goes on in your heart and how that interacts with your head. And so I think your podcast is so right on because we don't, we have too much in our head. We're too much in our head with, with leadership, and we need to get more in our heart. And for, you know, for physical reasons, I mean, emotional reasons. So I love that you 
you have integrated that in the podcast is like that because I think it's crucial and it was a wake up call for me in my program that whole heart centered leadership. I had to say that because I Well, I it's interesting. Do you remember who authored that book? No. Susan Steinbrecher. So when I decided to do this podcast, I found her book and I sent her an email. Well, I created the email and let it sit for five days in my inbox because I was too fearful because I thought she's not going to answer me. She's another coach. Her book was amazing. When I got the courage to send the email, she emailed me back and the email said, I would like to start a podcast. This is the name. And I would be honored if we could talk about your book and you would be my first guest. That was May 27th of 2020. We have become really good friends. She lives in Texas. She authored that book in 2003. She reprinted it in 2017 because in 2003 she was told there's no place for that type of leadership quality within the leadership world. So when she got to reprint it and she co-wrote it with Dr. Joel Bennett, it was a sweet spot for her. So she has a very, very special place engraved in my heart because I wanted her blessing to start the podcast around heart-centered leadership. And uh, she's one of my biggest fans. Well, I think that's great. And you can see what a great program I went to, that that was on our reading list. Absolutely. So, and she'll be thrilled to, to hear that through this podcast. So I'll have to connect you to. Yeah, so I just had to say that. It's another beautiful thing about this podcast is I get to connect so many people that might not have connected otherwise. So I'll definitely connect both of you. Now, bravo I want your courage too. bravo for your courage to take that step. That is just a beautiful thing. I'm I'm a big proponent. I mean, we've got International Women's Day coming up and I'm a big proponent of collaboration over competition. I think it's one of the biggest things that men and women struggle with. And I think COVID-19's given us that opportunity to pause and like I said before we hit record there's so much work out there the world is in need of leadership coaches and executive coaches and every kind of coaching that there is out there and it's our due diligence to shine whatever our wheelhouse is and exercise that to the best of our ability and people are having a hard time so it's just it just feels like an honor to do this type of work and I know when we were talking and I was reading all the information and doing my my background research on you that you're very much of the same cloth and that's why you're on the show. It's a win-win. It's wonderful. Now, we talked about a few leadership talk topics that you like to talk about. So my next question that I want to ask you about, because it's one of my favorite leadership terms, energy management. And I know you use the word work-life balance, and I, I will be authentic and tell you that I used to use that word. And I, decide to, I decided in 2016 to put it out with the trash. And I also threw in three words in the same garbage bag. I threw in sorry, just, and busy. Because I think those three words, along with work-life balance, I think it's unintentional. I think it's untangible to bring into our reality. 
So I, I recoined it to be work-life integration because balance gives us that visual of a scale. And, and women used to say, you know, Deb, I get caught up at work and then I'm not caught up at home and then I get caught up at home and then I'm not caught up at work. And I'm just sharing examples from clients that I've had. And I thought, okay, we need to get rid of that word because it's so unintentional. So share with me, because I know it's one of your topics that you love to talk about. Energy management is foundational to be any type of leader, especially a heart-centered leader. How do you integrate that term of work-life balance so it doesn't feel like this visceral ug, so that leaders can maintain energy management? Right, that's so funny because I used, I, when I use work-life balance, I always say we have to stop using work-life balance. So, so that's part of my first presentation when I give presentations on this. But it's something when you're pitching someone that they kind of understand that concept. But I love that work life. I've been taking so many notes, by the way, while we're talking. It's just like <laughs> fabulous. But work life integration is great. Mm-hmm. But I have noticed that instead of looking at the word balance or what you're doing, you need to figure out where you need to put your energy because mm-hmm. time is finite. And Deb, we'll never have this time again. But energy is renewable and you can continue to refuel. So I encourage my clients to look at their day, not as time, but as energy. So if you're going to, one day you might put your energy into your work, might be a 40, 60 split, you know, with 40 family, 60 work, sometimes it's going to be 80, 20. But when you wake up in the morning, figure out where you're going to put your energy and then put your energy there without guilt, without procrastination, without fears of uh, perfectionism, just embrace that energy and be focused and be in that moment. And when you do that, and when you start that practice, you'll find that you'll have the energy for everything. Everything gets organized and you will be able to deal with everything that comes with you. So it's nothing to do with balance, everything to do with energy. And so to be able to, for people to visualize that has been such an empowering thing, especially for women, because they realize this whole guilt thing. I mean, I told people to get rid of guilt at 40. I, I should have written a book, but it just, it's just no good. And instead of being feeling guilty about what you're not doing, because you're doing something, focus on what you are doing. Mm-hmm. And then when you're not doing that, don't think about it and go to the next thing. And that really frees your mind. And then for the refueling, take care of yourself. Figure out how you're going to put in your day, your naps, your self-care, your walks, your energy, your Netflix, whatever it takes to refuel you. And when you shift your life like that, suddenly things do become manageable. Oh, I call it life by design. And I love that. You know, we are not human doings. We are human beings. And I focus on that. Uh, I'm a yoga teacher. I bring a lot of those principles around energy into when I'm chatting about energy management and being able to pivot because COVID has taught us that, like, Mm -hmm. again, on a deep visceral level, we still don't know what we don't know. There's still so much unprecedented out there we're we're living you know knee deep in VUCA so there's the light at the end of the tunnel but you got to just keep the vision shared and keep leading and pointing towards the north star whatever that looks like and being okay 
with not being okay and modeling that because self-care is a huge proponent of my branding language. And when you model self-care, you're giving a gateway to your team, to your culture to say self-awareness is the key here. So powerful. I love that. So true. Love that. Creating and communicating so you can be heard. This is a fun topic to talk about in leadership. What advice can you share from the companies or individual leaders that you've worked with for a strategy when a leader's trying to communicate and thinks he or she's doing their best, but they're not being heard? Where do you go as a leadership trainer and coach and consultant? Where do you take them on a coaching lineage to have that self-reflection piece? It's really important. Good question. It's really important that leaders get out of themselves. And you'll find that leaders are very self-involved because they have to be. They have a zillion things on their plate. They're multitasking. Mm -hmm. They're doing things. They have a lot of stress, a lot of this and that. And sometimes they haven't learned how to communicate. Again, they haven't learned how to be a leader, haven't learned how to communicate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they're just saying in their estimation what they think needs to be communicated. Mm -hmm. And when they do that, they are not, because communication, Deb, is two-way. So one one way, one part of it is who's the communicator, but the person who's listening is such a big part of that. And if you are communicating in a way that people cannot grasp it, you won't get the results you need. For example, a very simple example, if you start talking if you try to motivate your employees by talking about the importance of making profits for a company, that is not going to motivate a, a person to want to make more money for you. That, mm-hmm. that is just, it will not be heard. Even though you might not mean to say that, mm-hmm. you want what you really want to say is, we, I want to be successful so that we can have a better work environment and we can do so much more. If we're successful, you're successful as a, mm-hmm. as a company. All those great things that we need to tell employees, but you don't think about that. But if you're thinking about how it will be received, what, when you want, what you really want to say is, all right, we need to create this revenue stream for the next quarter. And if we do this, this will allow you to really grow in, in your, speaking to the employees, grow in your jobs, be flexible, you know, have more benefits, whatever it is that would benefit the person who's listening. That's just mm-hmm. a very basic example. But remembering who's why, remembering the why, always communicating the why mm-hmm. so that the people who hear it will be motivated. Because as a leader, you really want to motivate the people. So what is going to motivate them? And what you think is going to motivate them very often is not what's going to motivate them. So that's what I mean. Communicating yeah, it's it. You know, it's it's that simplicity of common sense that people just want to be seen and heard and valued, listened to, validated. You know, it's. I think sometimes people can get caught up in the business acumen and they forget that communication just needs to be basic communication one hundred and one with people. The human yeah. being. Exactly. The human being. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. I'm going to switch to my fab four. Okay. I'm ready. We want to know what's sitting on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. 
First question, tell us something about Dr. Lori that we don't know. I love playing words with friends and I'm still addicted to that. That, oh, um, that, that, yeah, I absolutely love it. And I don't do a lot of that. Uh, you know, I try to not scroll in social media, but I cannot get away from my words with friends. And I am totally, uh, obsessed with it and I try to do it at certain times of the day but I love words with friends still well I'm happy to be a word with friend uh, partner opponent and as a neuroscience person and I can tell you that the higher cognitive self of your brain is going to love that as you age you're keeping yourself agile that's wonderful that's why I do it I just I think uh, when we're deep thinkers, there's something about words. You're a writer. You get it. There's just something about the, the gaming interface and playing with words, and it's super fun. So there you go. We have something else in common. Go figure, Dr. Lori. And I'm competitive, and I mean, it's just really fun. And I understand my, my kids and my husband like the game playing games this is my game so everybody leaves me alone because they have nothing to say because it's you know my game so I, I love it I absolutely love it if you had to sit down with the 16 year old version of Lori what advice would you give her buy apple stock yeah right <laughs> <laughs> I've already answered that question I would definitely tell her that she that you are not going to have the traditional career trajectory that you were it pounded into your head that that was going to happen, that you're going to be allowed to take four years of college that you worked as a journalist for, then six months later, not want to be on newspapers and realize you've got to do a whole life shift and then find yourself. I would give her a little heads up that it's not going to be a straight arrow and things are going to be coming at you that you're just going to have to embrace because it's going to be okay. Absolutely. And find an entrepreneur or anybody who has a straight line. Those peaks and valleys are there for a reason. That's where that's the sweet spot where all the learning and the next the next big time to grow happens. I love that. What is on your bucket list that you're hoping to check off next? Italy. Italy. Have you I been? Really, I have not been to Italy and I would love to do that. We had a trip planned for um this year. and we, we pushed it back with some friends. But I would love to get to Italy. Uh, it is just something I've always wanted to do. So we are just going to continue to save money <laughs> and it, and pushing it back. But that is my bucket list dream is Italy. I, I have been there. It is amazing. You will love it. So I'll have to share my little hidden gems with you. And it'll be the best olive oil and the best wine you've ever had in your life. So hopefully you can book that soon. I Yes, yes. It's amazing. Last question, what do you want your legacy to be? I feel that I have really impacted um, literally thousands of students over the course of my 25 years as a university professor. And I'm hoping that they embrace the whole idea of pivoting to the positive and making every day count and every day is a gift so that they can take that energy, that positive energy, and no matter what happens to them, they can move forward and have a super happy life. And I'm hoping through my coaching and my podcast and, and my former teaching that that is the legacy that I leave. Well, and that's beautiful. And I, th I think that you're, you're living that and it's just gonna, it's just gonna unfold and, and come to fruition. That's beautiful. Thank you. I normally pick a quote for my guests, but 
because we share so much intersection, I wanted to know if there's a quote that has really resonated with you that you've engraved in your mind and on your heart and has helped you pivot through life. And if so, what is it? Well, it's a kind of a new quote for me, but it's one of my favorites. And I don't know who said it, but how cool is it that the same God who created mountains and oceans and galaxies looked at you and thought the world needed one of you too. Oh, I love that. And you're authentic. It's one of your top three. Well, I want to thank you for your time and sharing your wisdom and expertise and more importantly, sharing your heart with us. It's been such a wonderful journey, Deb, and I'm so excited doing this podcast. I think you're touching more lives than you can even imagine. Well, I'm having a lot of fun. It's one meaningful conversation at a time. I've got lots of new colleagues, lots of new friends. Now I have another word with friends friend, and I look forward to continuing conversation with you, and thank you for the work that you do and for spending time with me. Thank you. So thank you, everybody, for joining us once again on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is Deb Crow, and we'll see you again next time.